Bruce Newberry. The food dude. All right, so here we are. It's Bruce Newberry with Ted Carusas, the Blue Play Diner. All right, Ted, so uh, here we are, and uh, it seems like every time we talk, we're at another crossroads. And, yeah. I, you know, another door is about to be opened. We're about to embark on another uh, another chapter or something. Uh, and Bruce, <laughs> Bruce and Ted's excellent advice. That's us. <laughs> that's us. <laughs> oh, God. If you can't laugh at it, what, what good is it? Well, that's it. Olivia de Havilland, who just passed away, they found yeah. a quote of hers, and she said, basically, laugh at everything, to take yeah. nothing seriously. And she lasted to, what, 104 God bless her. Maybe that's why she got to live at 104. Yes. I mean, I, the tension and anxiety that I see people feel on a day-to-day basis is extraordinary. Um, you know, the $600 has lapsed as of this week, or last week, I should say. People all of a sudden are going to feel the pinch faster than you think. Poor restaurant people are, are nervous every time somebody comes up. You know, you, you, you go to grab a drink from someone, a, a drink order, and, you know, they're not wearing their mask staff get nervous it's tough it's a weird time it's a tough time and uh you got to find the best in everything and try and make the best of everything because uh life's too short as we all know we all know somebody who's dealt with covid obviously. it's true very very true it's it's interesting that we're finding you know i i liken this to being hypnotized they say when when you're hypnotized you're not really changing into someone else it's something that you had within you that just comes out and you wouldn't you're not doing anything that you would not ordinarily do i think this is like that we're finding that people are acting in a certain way and people are reacting in a certain way and they always had this characteristic within them whether it's to act kindly towards someone or to act like a total idiot towards someone and this was kind of dormant within these people and it's just coming out for better or for worse and and i'm finding that with 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 groups of people like restaurant staff or restaurant customers right right well it, it it's funny that you say that right i mean so to your point we all know there's a pandemic going on. We all know that there's been changes to our lifestyle and how we interact with each other um, on a day-to-day basis. And even having said that, we somehow find a way to lull ourselves into this this longing. We all have this longing for normalcy. Yeah. So when there's a beautiful sunny day and you're lucky enough to get one of the first seats outside, you're thinking to yourself, oh, you know, there's no pandemic going on. And right. you're getting this like... It's like lull because you're looking for comfort. And then, you know, and then you do kind of dumb things or stupid things. Like, I don't know how many times, you know, I, I have what I call my bubble, right? It's my immediate family plus my in-laws. Yes. And, and you know, and then, uh, you know, sometimes your in-laws will invite two other people to a group. And all of a sudden I get very like, well, wait a minute. Like you didn't, you didn't, I don't want to say you didn't ask my permission, but we didn't have this discussion. It's true. You know what I mean? So you get nervous. So, But back to bringing that back. So we get this sense of normalcy, and that's the far, farthest thing from the truth. So, uh, you know, I've been talking to restaurant people or, you know, I'll randomly go on people's Yelp pages. And I'll look at, like, when was the last time there was a review? Oh, two weeks ago. And they'll get, like, a one star or perhaps a three star. And I'm saying to myself, wait a minute, guys. Why is this happening? I go, you know, first of all, the establishment, I hope, is doing the best they can to explain to people how things are going to be different. And even when you go out to dinner, even though you know it's going to be different, cut them some slack. Give them a break. If things aren't well, the way you expect them to be, 
um, then reach out to a manager right right then and there. Right or reach then out and there. To, you know, reach out to the owner before you go and put it on a review. I mean, there are people behind those stars, right? I mean, uh, restaurants are struggling as it stands, and people making minimum wage plus tips are struggling to get volume levels to a place where they can actually support themselves and support their families. And then, you know, this has to happen. Uh, you know, I don't expect, I mean, obviously, if things are not right, an owner, a manager, someone's got to know about it. Yes. But, give them the, but just change the direction. You can still say something on Yelp, but I would suggest you tell the owner first or the manager first so they can actually do something about it because they might not even know what's going on. And then if they don't make it you know, right, then you, you should be free to, to speak your mind. It is a free country. I totally respect that. Of course. But recognize that your words have um, consequences and, and, you know, and be somewhat understanding. Now, do people look at the dates on those? Not, not when they're being uh, assimilated in an algorithm. You know, that's right. You've got, you know, 15 or 20 years of great reviews and you've got you've got a whole slew of negative ones as of late. That totally puts the algorithm in, into, uh, you know, into logjam and messes things up. It is people. not working in the restaurant's favor. That's for sure. No, but it's not. And that's take sad. a second, though, Ted, because they need you, right? it's so true. Take a second, though, because what you're saying has is a universal truth in restaurant business and has been for decades. And it's just now, these days, it's just becoming more in the spotlight. I mean, it, this was always the thing to do. If you had an issue, if you had a thumbs down experience in a restaurant, go to the owner. We're so fortunate that we have so many owner operated restaurants. Right. As independent stores, right? Yes. Yeah, so you could talk to somebody that's going to get something done. They don't have to fill out a form right. or a checklist or go to corporate. And right. that was always the case, but never has it been more important than now because right. uh, the table is 66% more important or whatever right. the mathematical right. equation right. works right. out to be because the tables are uh, are few and far between. We're cut right. back. Every experience counts more and more and more. And right. as you say, these folks who are making a living are finding it 66% harder to make a living and so forth. Right. right. And, and the reality is, right, I mean, you know, we talk about, uh, of course, I would never, forgive me if anybody would ever take it out of context, consider myself a frontline worker, like a doctor, like a, a paramedic, like a firefighter or a police officer that deals with this stuff daily. I'm just a little old restaurant owner, right? But I, I am making a conscious choice to have my store open, to bring my employees on, and for them to take the risk, not knowing, right? Because there are not enough tests out there, and even so, you wait forever to get the results, to go out, and to serve a guest who might be out of state, who might be on vacation, who might just be working down the street and is coming in for a bite to eat, we're taking the risk of serving them. We're wearing a mask to protect them, and we're wearing a mask to protect ourselves. And now, you know, it's tough to be extra friendly, extra awesome, you know, and give them, you know, their level of expectation and service is different, right? They yes. want a safe place. They want what they want. They want it in a timely manner. And they might not want chit-chat or they might want chit-chat, right? Depends on your perspective. It's like, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Some people are longing to connect because they've been Zooming all day and they just trying to get out and about and are lonely because they live at home alone. You don't know where they're coming from. And it's very, very tough to give what kind of service you used to give, wearing a mask, being ultra nervous, not wanting to impinge on someone's, you know, social distance space. 
So, you know, everybody's expectations have changed. And so that's why I always tell my staff, try and smile with your eyes as best you can. Yes. Always. It's tough to hear when someone's talking. I've noticed that even when I wear masks, you know, I've got big ears, but they pull them in a certain way. <laughs> and I'm wondering if I hear everything is my point. Like, what did you say? I'm so sorry. Excuse me. It's so, you know, things are just different. And whether it's psychosomatic or not, the reality is we all need to be a little kinder, a little bit more patient, a little bit more understanding. You know, you're still paying probably sometimes even more, right? Mm-hmm. You're probably paying more and getting less, unfortunately. But, and it's, I hope it's not forever. Hopefully it's just a short-term trade-off, but I I went out to dinner. I won't say where, but you know, I had my first outside of my own restaurant experience. I went out, we went out to dinner, and one of the key takeaways was I felt really nervous. Um, I felt bad for my waiter. I saw that they felt nervous. Mm. Um, I felt really uh, it was odd to see a, a huge menu whittled down to maybe like fifteen items. Yeah. And one of the reasons why we went there is, as you know, my, my, you know, two members of my family are celiac. And even though they were celiac, they were limited as to their options. Um, And so, you know, fundamentally, I had to reshift my my gears and say, you know what? Shame on me. Take your own medicine and recognize that things are going to be different and then just roll with it. And once we did that, we were a little bit better. Um, The meal, when it came out, was great. The server... You know, we made him feel at ease because, you know, we told him we're in the restaurant business, too. And all of a sudden he's like, well, then you get where I'm coming from. <laughs> yeah. It's like a you secret know? handshake. Is, right. I mean, looking at things through someone else's eyes will always put you in a better place, hopefully. Um, and at least it, that's where we what, as far as humanity goes, that's how we have to look at things. This is a <laughs> tough time. I wear my mask for myself and obviously for my father-in-law who's 75 or my dad who's 77 or whatever i don't want them getting sick you know i don't want to carry something and then i go into my bubble and you know they get it so you do it for them you do it for someone else you're not doing it for yourself and i think i'll think like that you know we might be able to get through this a little bit easier i think you're onto something with the bubble ted i really do and uh, what a what a great first of all what a what a great experience and what a great story of a great experience and it can be hopefully inspiring to anybody who listened to it and uh, I thought I think that that is wonderful and you know what you'd go back there in a heartbeat and it cements that experience that we had that we always want to repeat and uh, boy you couldn't have said it any better so let me say that first of all but second of all I think that the bubble idea is something that is going to take hold. I've been hearing a lot about it. And this is the way that some people say we're going to get to the next place before we're all through with this. This is how we're going to manage it by staying in our bubbles. The hockey players are doing it and they're doing it very well. There's been no no positive cases among the National Hockey League players. Right. Baseball, football, basketball, not so much. Uh, right. But the why couldn't the bubble include a restaurant? If you have a familiar place, a favorite place, like your place, the Blue Plate, I mean, the diner concept is all about the regular. I mean, maybe you were the original bubble because yeah. you go there every well, day. 
Well, it's funny, right? I mean, so we've always tried to have the same people working on the same shifts, taking care of the same people. And it's funny because it has a reverse effect because back to the whole normalcy. Hey, in comes John. And we know John because he was in yesterday and we took his name and number yesterday. But everybody forgets that today's a new day and we need to put John in the book. Hmm. We need to make sure that we're contact tracing. So, you know. It go, it, you assume that, oh, they remember me. I was here yesterday. And that's one of the reasons why they come back to you is because you, you know, you hopefully gave them a good service experience, even with COVID uh, going on. And, you know, they, they uh, you know, felt not, not threatened. You know, things came out the way they expected it, whatever the reasoning that they come back. But you go back for familiarity because you met their threshold and hopefully, you know, they want to repeat the experience. Well, you still got to check in. You still got to make sure that you're wearing your mask. You still got to do all this thing because immediately your brain goes to, oh, normalcy. Right. I'm comfortable. Right. And so therefore, and, and I, I don't know how many times I have to remind my staff, remind your guests they have to wear a mask when they go to the restroom or remind your guests. You know, I had a, some people waiting in a vestibule and I was very politely had to go and say, you know, uh, thank you so very much for deciding to stick around, knowing that we're on a little bit of a wait. May I suggest you either go outside or go to your car. I go, the worst place you want to be is right here where every single person funnels through the restaurant. True. And they're like, oh, my goodness, thank you so much. I didn't even think of that. Me either. They had, a little, they had little ones there, and I'm like, you don't want to be here. If you want to be somewhere, you want to be where you're spread out, not right in a in a vestibule area, even though you're, you're waiting, right? So it, it's weird because your brain has to start thinking differently, and that's the, that's the stressor. In Excellent advice. Life. So, yeah. So, but anyways... Um, so yeah. the it's just becoming really interesting how we are noticing things and saying and finding familiarity, whether it's the regular staff and the regular customers, even though adjustments have to be made, or yeah. it, whether it's a regular menu. Now, again, the diner is the original comfort food menu, but we're seeing so many restaurants you just pointed out that you had gone out and had found a menu that was really a fraction of what it normally is right and that's for a couple of different reasons but not the least of which is that we on this side of the table are looking for comfort we're not ready for adventurous just yet we want the comfort Right. Well, I think there's a psychological component that, yes, we long for comfort and we want some kind of familiarity. So we're not as experiential, meaning or as uh, experimental, I should say. Right. We're always experiential, but not so experimental. That's it. Um, But there's also like we touched upon in past conversations. There's also the component of the fact um, higher carrying costs. If the broader the menu, the more you have to invest in inventory. And when you're let's say constrained by 66%. So let's say 40% you're constrained. You have less likely to turn that product over. So a higher chance of it going bad or spoiling or, or any number of things. So there's always a financial component of that as well, right? Some of it is driven from the fact, I mean, if I put something on the menu and you buy it, of course it'll stay there. But if I don't put something, but if I put something on the menu and it's not selling, then I need to switch it out. Most restaurants have switched over to their core, whatever that core competency is. They switch to the core because, um, one, that's what you're looking for, right? I mean, you've already made your decision when you're going out to eat. You know, you know where you're going to go. Do I want Chinese? Do I want breakfast? Do I want a burger? Right? What am right. I in the mood for? And from there, you'll kind of figure out, you'll 
more more focused what you'll order, right? Do I want this kind of burger or that kind of burger? That, but you're already in the mood for something. So many restaurants have said, you know, what are we known for? What's our core? Let's pay things down and whittle them down so that way at least we can deliver on the promise to our core and to our core constituents. And that's it. And so um, luckily, uh, you know, being a diner, we use eggs and everything. And, you know, just like the chef with his hats, you know, the 88 pleats in a yes. hat, 88 different ways to cook an egg. Um, we can still be somewhat versatile, you know, whether it's an omelet or a pancake, you know, whatever. Eggs are everything. They emulsify things. They, they you know, they, they. So luckily, our menu of, um, and I hate to say it, the Chinese menu, I call it a Chinese menu in the fact that, you know, few ingredients can give you multiple uh, iterations of things. Good point. So, it's a good way to know, put it. And so you get options. In a diner, you at least get options, which is hilarious because our menu is smaller, but I still find myself cooking the same stuff that they used to get before. <laughs> if I got it, I'll make it, even though it's not on the menu. So it's hilarious because back to the whole comfort, right? That's what they want. They came to you because they wanted the Cherise hash or they wanted the whatever it was. So, um, And that's why you're going back out, right? You're, you're going back out because you missed something. Right. Yes. People can cook at home. It's either convenience or you're missing something. And I beg to, to, to gauge the, the answer that it's not only that they miss your food, but they miss the interaction. That's it. That's it. Well, I had a I had a discussion today with a restaurant owner. And one of the things that he is selling a ton of is the experience of having someone mix a martini for you or yep. someone mixing an old fashioned for you. I mean, you you can certainly buy liquor at the store and liquor stores are doing tremendous business, but yeah. it's not the same as no. that professional who's mixing that drink behind the bar. The same as it's a, a far different thing and you can't even start to create it in your own home to make some shooties hash. Right. Right. You need like six, seven things to mix them all together. That's same right. Thing with a good drink. Right. I mean, you know, I laugh cause I call it, you know, you ever go to the supermarket and you buy a, um, um, a salad dressing. Right. And they, they come in these monster sizes now. And if you ever look at it, what's the one thing in your fridge that always sits there, but you always get a different one? Salad you, dressing. You got, like 12, you got 12 different salad dressings. <laughs> and any, any I, I guarantee anybody's refrigerator, there's more salad dressings than you will ever use. It's true. And yet it's there. And so the point, the point is that many restaurants, so you're longing for this great Manhattan or great martini, great whatever, or sangria. Many restaurants got into the business of like off-premise um, alcohol delivery. Oh, cocktails to go, right? right? And everybody loves the whole alcohol component, which is great. I mean, but I can venture to tell you that if you, you I guarantee you got vodka at home, but you might not have the other thirteen ingredients that go to make one of the signature. Of cocktails. course, you don't have the so, syrups or the bitters or the the right. lemon zest or and, what and have to you. To invest in that to have your favorite cocktail. It's probably about eight times the cost right. that you would get by going into the restaurant <laughs> to get it. And now you understand why a drink costs you eight or ten right. or fifteen dollars. Correct. Correct. So the the funny part is, you know, they can just grab the mocktail, but you know, our governor's being extra awesome in the fact that they're allowing you to pre mix the alcohol and sell. Well, I sure. Still don't know how they wrap their head around that because we don't do that, but. 
I find that shocking. Everybody's got the vodka at home. Buy a fifth of whatever you want to do and have it there. But the uh, cocktails the to go, particularly, yeah. and uh, some within sound of our voice here, Ted, are uh, definite connoisseurs of the mason jar cocktails because right. in, in vermont that's like the handy single serving size <laughs> they, right, you right. get a you get a mason jar full of uh, long island iced tea or something along those lines and you know it has become essential and it has become nothing less than lifeblood for some restaurant owners i mean it literally means the difference between them staying in business during this past 150 or so days and going out right. of business and so uh, i'm joining the chorus in fact i was one of the first to be in the chorus to say let's just make this part of the law let us put aside the old ways and the old days and the blue laws and let's yep. just uh, go modern and keep it in, make it law, memorialize it, and uh, help everybody to sustain. Right, right, right. And at the very least, if you're not going to do the alcohol component, at least the mocktail part. I mean, right? I mean, you should be able to, to, to sell any way to incrementally increase the, the, the dollars per visit will help a restaurant, especially when they're constrained by physical physical space. Um, in order to keep this under containment, restaurants have had to do the unthinkable, which is shut down their business. And then even worse than that, when they reopened, to reopen at half staff and do whatever you can to, to, to make, make it work. And yet it's a long, hard road. I don't see us getting out of it for the next two years. Mm. I think the ripple effect, and don't get me wrong, we're blessed in the fact that we've got great – right now we have pent-up demand – number one which the funny part is we'll probably have pent-up demand for a while let's hope right let's hope and then you've got the restaurants so the restaurants with being in newport or down you know in the summertime or you know even in providence you're making up with the closed side of the restaurant by being outdoors as soon as it starts getting chilly as soon as it starts getting cold we've been lucky that we don't have rain when the rain comes or the bad weather comes, these restaurants, how are they going to survive? They need to come up and pivot in, with ways. And one way is through the alcohol mm -hmm. uh, way. Another one is if you have a favorite restaurant, try and subscribe to them. Make one night a blue plate night. Make one other night a, a, a taco night, a Tito's night. Sure. Make, you know what I mean? And just like you have your favorite pizza shop or a pizza place, you go once a week. Um which, by the way, has gotten expensive, but that's neither here nor there. That's okay. It's crazy. I've got a lot of big kids, and they eat like 80 bucks of pizza a week. <laughs> and it's like one night. I'm like, what? Anyways, <laughs> but like, you know, subscribe to that. That's a great idea. Uh, right? Commit to that. Make, make one, one night barbecue night. Make one right. night sure. I like it. Right. And just keep it local and keep it in your bubble. And here's the kicker. That's it. If you're consistent and they're part of your bubble and you know what's happening there because you're checking in with them once a week, you'll know it's safe. Yes. Yes. Right? I mean, one more thing. You, you just know it's safe. Instead of like shopping it around, which we want you to shop it around, obviously. But if you can't because of money constraints or whatever reasoning, then take the tact of put them in your bubble, keep that place uh, going and create and further double down on your loyalty to the place and they'll be loyal right back to you. We need you just as much as you need us and vice versa. That's just how it works. It, it keeps is how everything it works. flowing. That is a great idea, and uh, gosh, uh, what an ambassador for the business you are, Ted Carusas. That's <laughs> wonderful. Very kind. Uh, you are the ambassador more than that. anyone, so we appreciate that. And like, like we both work together, right? With the end you result bet. is we want a healthy, vibrant, 
hospitality community because I think we're all hospitable. I mean, in the truest of forms, everybody wants to be loved and everybody wants to love. And that's what restaurant business is all about. It's about people and sharing with others. Excellent. Thank you so much, sir, as always. My great, great pleasure. I thank you. Well, we've got a sizzling grill here, and yours will be sizzling before long at your broadcast bistro. And I hope that somewhere in that cookout this weekend you're going to include some gas bars because nothing says good times like gas bars, linguisa and chorizo sizzling hot on your grill. It's summertime because the gas bar family knows how to make these amazing sausages seasoned just right, made with lean cuts of quality meats, has been since 1923 in southern New England. So simple, just slice gas bars, linguisa or chorizo in half lengthwise, get them going on a good hot grill, serve on a great roll, there's Gaspar's Linguisa. It's hearty. Gaspar's Cherise. It's hot. Linguisa dogs, Cherise dogs, Andouille sausage, turkey linguisa, kielbasa. Build a whole cookout around Gaspar's. And so many families do and don't even think of having a clam baker clam boil without Gaspar's. The Portuguese sausage that the whole world can enjoy. Bruce Newberry. Well, this is a thrill. We get to talk to Peter Noon. Hello, Peter. Hey, Bruce. I can hear you fine now. Oh, good, because I can hear you too. So we. Well, good. Good day to you. Good day to you, my friend. How are you? Living the dream. That's it. Well. Yeah. You, you think you're living the dream now? Wait till this weekend when you're in. Say it with me. Miss Quamicat. Miss Quamicat. You're saying it like a Yankee now, Peter. Good job. I've, I've been taught. I've been taught by the best. <laughs> It is uh, so great to talk to you. And you know what? We have better news because uh, here we thought that we were so thrilled that you were going to play for us and sing for us this Sunday night at the Musquamica Drive-In. But you're actually going to be here. Yeah. I mean, it's a live show. I mean, I actually stand on a stage with the guitar player myself and we do, you know, all Herman's Hermit's greatest hits and tell stories. And um, then... You know, have a look at the people sitting in their chairs by the cars. There's some seats at the front, and I'll be able to communicate with people. It'd be nice. And then they put, they, they blow it up and put it on the screen behind us. Yes. That's great. So you can sit in the back of your pickup, or you can sit in the comfort of your car, or as you say, you can sit out in front of your car as long as we're socially distant. Exactly. And there may be people at the, like Providence Airport or downtown Westerly will be able to see that vision of me on that huge screen yes. all those miles away. <laughs> They'll be able to see you for miles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they'll be able to see me from Hartford. I, you never know. You never know. <laughs> hey, uh, this is terrific. And you know, I'm so, I'm so thrilled for you. And I, I'll tell you why. The, I've, we've all been taking in the Zoom concerts, you know, and I'm sure you've done a few of them. And they're great and they're, it's, it's fun, except... I always felt for the performer because we're sitting here in the comfort of our living room applauding, but you can't hear the applause on Zoom. I, I don't. I don't get it. I don't. I think the beauty of live music is the uh, mutual participation. Everybody is involved in it when you play live, and you can hear the audience. You can see the audience. You can. You know, there's, there's something about. I'm sick into live music. I. I. I don't. I haven't done one Zoom show yet or no right? virtual reality stuff. I, I don't believe it. I think that my job was always a live live music guy. I'm I live for you. live music. 
I'm with you. It just must have been terribly difficult for these performers to not do that. I understand why why you wouldn't do it. It really makes a lot of sense. And we're so thrilled to be able to have you and uh, the prospect of you playing and singing live at uh, at Mesquamacut. Now, tell us about you. I, I, I have listened to your stories. I listen to you every week on the radio. And you tell such great stories because you have so many great stories. Uh, do you have a story about New England? Do you have a story about Rhode Island? You know, we we played there on our very first tour. We played Providence, Rhode Island on our first tour. Probably the building has been demolished by now, you know. And uh, it was our first tour, and I believe it was the animals. Yeah. Were the, were, you know, we, we didn't ever say opening act. That's a new word. We always said the support act was the animals. And we had a fantastic time. And I remember the hotel that we stayed in. I think it was called Pro- the Providence Hotel in Providence. And, you know... There was a lot of teenage girls, you know, they were, they were banging on my door all night and, it, and I and I let them out in the morning. Very good. <laughs> and they're all grandmothers today. Yeah, but, you know, that's OK, because at least they have a very good time to have grown up in when yes. people were kind to each other and, you know, took care of their mom and all that stuff. You know, it, it was it was a very good, the 60s was an extremely good time. I mean, it's not that there weren't any, you know, political problems and stuff like that, but people were, you know, the music was on the radio. People shared music. If you were in a car with your mom and dad, you all listened to the same radio station. Nobody had earbuds. Right. And everybody, everybody lived in this musical land. You would get up in the morning and the radio would be on with the news and then music and then you'd be... You know, kids had their little transistor radios and music was everywhere. And, and you know, my mom knew the names of the Beatles. You know, she, oh, yeah, you know, George. She didn't know their full names, but she was so participating in the music business that she knew the names of, you know, she knew Mick Jagger wow. and stuff like that. She heard all those names around. So... That's a shame that it isn't like that. We don't share the music equally anymore. Correct. That is to our detriment. We're all in our little musical silo, and I don't I don't think we're the better for it. I agree with you. I think it was just a better time for, for people to, you know, mutually, and, you know, my dad would mix the words enjoy and endure. <laughs> you know, okay, let's all endure this one. <laughs> And sometimes that's what you did, but you know what? You did it. Are you ready? I have found, because uh, the 60s were great, but you know what's great about 2020? You can look up anything, Peter Noon, and I have found the date where where Herman's Hermits played Providence, Rhode Island. Are you ready? Yeah. It was Rhode Island Auditorium, which you're right, has long since been torn down. It's now a Greg's restaurant in a medical building. And it was August 8th, 1966. And you were there, uh, uh, Herman's Hermits, supported by Eric Burden and the Animals and a band called the Frontiersmen. I think they were a local, they were local to Providence, those boys. I I remember everything. It's crazy, isn't it? I remember. Yes. Oddly, I remember the name of the hotel and I remember the date. And I've been back since many times. Have you? But, you know, I, I mean, not there but i've been to providence you know i've got friends who live in rhode island and stuff like that in the summer and uh hey i'm looking forward to it every every day is a treasure to me you know i've only got i say to my agent 10 more years Hmm. and uh i just said to him last week 11 more years (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, they're going in the wrong direction, right? <laughs> well, we will. No, but you know, I think I think I'll still be good for about another ten, eleven years. You are as good as long as you want to be, and uh, may you have many, many more of them. We're looking forward to seeing you Sunday night at Mesquamacet at the drive-in. So you have so many stories to tell, Peter Noon, and you tell them so well on the radio. You knew everybody, you, and and you have this amazing memory because I've heard you talk about how you and uh, you and Dion War were talking and singing together and you and Mike Love or you and then of course you talk about your mates from those days back in England Freddie and uh, and uh, Jerry and Dave Clark and all of those guys you know the thing is it, it, I think England is a small place it's probably not that much England I'm talking about it, not England Ireland Scotland and Wales but England is probably not much bigger than Rhode Island yeah, I, I mean I'm right. not sure and we all knew each other because it was a small country and everybody was pay- you know anybody who was in a group was sort of a part of this uh almost i hate to use the word union but we were we were all like plumbers we all took care of each other in a way we were like a union we, or any musician you know we would help each other out and you know like the beatles would loan us their gear and stuff like that there was a different kind of it was camaraderie amongst english people so you know i knew freddie he was our milkman before he was freddie and the dreamers and i knew you know i met john lennon before the beatles really made it and you know i was a little kid i was just a kid so everyone was nice to me because i was they had to endure me you know they didn't necessarily had like my music but they had to support me because i was a fellow musician so there was a different kind of thing and and everybody was watching you know like how did you do on the american tour you know we'd come in right after the dave clark five so i'd talk to dave and say tell what was this like what was this town like what was this like you know i mean and then two years later we had to go to china and i went first wow and I and I called, I called uh, the turtles because they were coming next, and because I, I know the turtles, and I said, you know, this is what you should watch out. Don't stay in the hotel that they tell you to stay in. Book your own hotel so you can get away from that. There's too many people in that place. Hmm. So I called them, and then and then Eric Burden called me and said, how come you didn't tell me not to stay in that hotel? <laughs> how come you like the turtles so you, better? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've known Eric longer than them, but, you know, it just was one of those things. Got you covered. Talking with Peter Noon of Herman's Hermits coming to Mesquamic at the drive-in on Sunday night. Uh, just the Google Mesquamic at drive-in and you'll uh, find the night. Hey, I have news for you, Peter Noon. You've been, well, you've played Providence more than once. I know I have many times. I'm, uh, I just found another appearance. It was always in the summer. This was August 14th, 1967. And it was the Rhode Island Auditorium. You were the and the who was the who was the yes, support act? Yes, listen to you. And who else and was the Blues Magoo? That's it. You win the prize. You win a clam cake from Mesquamacet uh, from Two All right, great. Fish. I'm looking. I want it. I will eat it. <laughs> it was uh, and the uh, well. All right, How, what were the ticket prices? Probably five dollars. Ah, you're not I, the 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 hot ticket. The prime ticket was five fifty. Look at you. Uh, Tickets were... you know, because we were sort of like a little bit, we always were in the shadow of the Beatles, and we would say we'd rather play to a full house for less money than play to a few people for a lot of money. And remember, in those days, $5 was a lot of money. It was. That was a lot of money. You know, I mean... prime seats. Yeah, I mean, 20 is the new five, but 
tickets for concerts are now hundreds of dollars. Well, that's it. And that's, yeah. Uh, tickets were three fifty, four fifty, and five fifty available at leading record stores and at Rhode Island Auditorium. All seats reserved. Yep, that's me. There you go. Come on down to Misquamic. <laughs> We've got space reserved, actually, at Misquamic, and it's a different deal now. You're paying for a space, but uh, the the ticket price is pretty reasonable, and you're going to have a great time Sunday night at the Misquamic Drive-In, listening to Peter Noon. And now, tell us who's going to be on the stage with you. It's you and one other guitar player, or just you? Yeah, just me and my guitar player, Vance Brescia who's from, is from that area, he's from New York, yes. Long Island or something. And we've, we've done it before, you know, it's not a first-timer. We, 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 we did a Broadway show, like a one-man Broadway show, which is the same thing as it. I just talk a bit and I play songs. And, and it'll be fun. I mean, it's just a, a good fun. A lot of my songs are easy to sing along. So we get the audience singing along from the cars and the seat beside the car. And it'll be it'll be a fun, fun evening. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, looking so forward to uh, having you with us. And it's going to be so great. And again, if you are a fan of Peter Noon, he's on uh, satellite radio every Saturday afternoon. And he tells his stories, and you get a little a little sense of what he's going to be all about. And I love how you play on your show some of the kind of lesser known of the British invasion, kind of the import acts. And some of the some of the recordings you play didn't get any further than than Britain, but it's great to hear them. Yeah, well, I play. You know, I play songs that that I can tell you a story about. I don't yes. go looking. You know, I'm running out of stories about the Beatles, but so. You know, I play one Beatles every week. I play a Monkeys, but you know, it's it's interesting because I can remember a lot of stuff, and and some of those people that records I play call me to ask me to remind them of their stuff. But For you know, sure. Bruce, I've got to go. I've got I've got an appointment to get that test up my nose thing there. I go. Good luck with all that, uh, Peter Noon, yeah. and we will see you in Mesquamacus on Sunday night, my friend. Great to talk to you. Uh, great to talk to you, Bruce. I'll see you, Miss Climacott. Come and say hello from six feet away and wear a mask. You've got it. All uh, right. I'm only kidding. <laughs> I'm only kidding. <laughs> I'll see you there, Bruce. Take good care. Peter Noon, uh, I love it. What do I love? I love it when we have a guest like that, and the guest just brings it, as Peter Noon did, and he will Sunday night at Musquamacut. Yeah, nice going. All right. What a, he's, a, he's a showman. And what do he say? He has 10 more years? Oh. As long as he wants. And we hope that he is around for a long, long time. Bruce Newberry. The food dude.